Welcome to Trainers Talking Truths. This is an ISSA podcast dedicated to exploring the fitness industry and uncovering the whys and hows of personal training. To do that, we'll talk directly to the industry experts and certified trainers. We'll dig into fitness programming, business tactics, nutrition, and more. You'll even hear from current training clients who offer insight from the other side. We've got the fitness industry covered, so turn up the volume and enjoy the drive. Hello, world. Welcome back for another ISSA podcast, Trainers Talking Truths. I feel like it has been, Dan, a long time since we recorded a podcast. We've been on It has. It has. It's been a while. I wasn't sure what to wear. I know. I did get a fresh haircut for the podcast, so we're good. (laughs) Well, if anybody wants to know, my hair is down. I'm wearing a tank top. I'm just kidding. Um, I am, though. But it is me, Jenny Scott, and with my co-host, Dan the Mandarin. How have you been, Dan? Well, you know me. I just tell it the way it is, Jenny, and I am grateful. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful. Uh, you might recall a few recordings back. You said, how are you, Dan? And I said, I'm dodging mosquitoes. <laughs> mosquitoes were horrid. Well, guess what, Jenny? They moved out of Idaho. Idaho. It finally got cold enough. So I think grateful. they came to Arizona. because I hope so. Destroyed <laughs> by mosquitoes right now. <laughs> And I have a severe allergy to mosquitoes, by the way. So their little bites turn into hives on me. And then they turn into little spots because I scratch them off. Like it's, I think I saw them. They were migrating. You know, what was that? <sighs> Southwest. They were migrating Southwest to Arizona in a, in a little formation. Oh my gosh. See, and I'm going to take up stock in the company off because I bought like 10 gallons of it at the grocery store the other day. <laughs> there you go. But I am super excited to talk about the topic we have today. It's about sales and about, you know, the sales funnel and all the things that go into personal training that are not necessarily personal training. And we have with us kind of an expert in the field. We have Ms. Shannon Fable. Hi, Shannon. Hi. Thank you both so much for having me today. Absolutely. Now, this is my first time meeting Shannon, but I've heard she is a wealth of information and everybody speaks so highly of you. So I am super excited to hear what you have to say. Um, Can you start by telling us and our listeners a little bit about yourself? and how you got your start in the fitness industry? Yeah, I am going to try to be as succinct as possible. It's been 26 years of winding, ebbing, flowing, zigging, and zagging to end up where I am, as probably both of you as well. But I started out taking classes. I often joke and probably shouldn't joke, but I traded an eating and exercise disorder or an an eating disorder into an exercise disorder after leaving college. And I say it tongue in cheek because I think lots of people have disordered eating if they are in athletics, especially as a female growing up. I was a D1 cheerleader at the University of Florida and we got weighed in weekly. So exercising was to offset what you ate. And I didn't eat a lot because we got weighed in every single week, as I said. So when I left college, I was like, Ooh, I can eat now. No one's weighing me anymore. <laughs> then I discovered the gym and I got on, that was back in the nineties. I'll date myself. So I, you know, was on the step mill every day or the stair climber yep. with my, my Walkman in tuned into 93.7 FM. <laughs> and Love yeah, it. you know, stumbled into a group fitness studio because as a former cheerleader and dancer, I walked by and went, that looks like something I could do. And I'll quickly take you through that. I started out like most of you did in the back row and worked my way to the front and had a tape waiting until the teacher didn't show up one day because I just knew I could do it and found out how to teach and eventually went through a great training program in-house. And from there, from teaching to training, lots of other gym jobs like you, I'm sure, sales, management, open some gyms, close some gyms. 
And I was pretty fortunate because somewhere along the way, someone swooped me up and moved me over into the education track. So the delivery of education as a master trainer and a presenter, the creation of it um, and the management of it, DVD production. And then also with, you know, my track record of management in clubs, uh, especially in Group X, I started speaking, writing, consulting in this area, which supported and led to my husband and I creating a software, Group X Pro, which we sold after about 10 years of building the company. We sold it to Dexco. And I'd say, you know, my unique path kind of brought these two worlds together. And it made me deeply interested in sales and marketing, which is what you led off with. And that led me to find Book Yourself Solid, and Michael Port who is my personal mentor and have studied with him over the last 10, 11 years. And I became a book yourself solid business coach. And he helped me really take the message and figure out how do I package this up and bring it back to first of all, personal trainers, and then also to other organizations and solopreneurs and entrepreneurs in this space. And, you know, during COVID to a lot of group fitness instructors who never thought they would need to do sales and marketing So I've been able to work with some great companies utilizing these concepts to help them improve their businesses and still speak and write about it quite a lot. That's awesome. You're like a perfect example of somebody who started in fitness group exercise, right? You started off with it yourself, started off in the actual clubs and, you know, gyms, and then found out that there's so much more to it than that, right? You mentioned DVD production. I was like, I forgot about that. Right. Yeah. I used to have like the VHS tape of a uh, Tybo. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody had to make that. I still have them. Right. Yeah. I don't have a VHS player, Dan. <laughs> but yeah, there's so much more to the fitness industry. That's awesome because it seems like you kind of were in front of the scenes first and then you kind of moved behind the scenes. And that's where you kind of stayed, like impacting change from behind the scenes. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, there's two lessons in there that I often tell people when when I coach them in their careers. One, the very first like real job I had outside of the gym was with Schwinn and Tracy Harvey, who is one of my dear mentors. Like I hated her in the moment because she hired me to work behind the scenes. And I was like, but wait, I still look good in front of the camera. Like I'm not aged. I don't need the fuzzy lens. And um, I don't even need that much makeup. Totally different story these days. But um, she's like, no, but you're really good at the stuff behind the scenes, the organizing, the management, the mentoring other people. I wasn't ready to let go of it. So I begrudgingly did it and still took on opportunities to stay in front of the camera. But the lesson there being sometimes people see something in you that you can't see for yourself. And oftentimes being behind the scenes provides you a bigger opportunity to have impact and get more people moving. Like I still am passionate about getting people moving, but I choose to do it by mentoring and coaching other people in business so they can get in front of more people and help get more people moving. So there's always a unique path that you can explore. And that would be the second thing I'd say is always tell folks, find your own way. There is no set way to go about being in this industry. And we need disruptors and people that think outside the box and people that just totally throw out the playbook and try it again. So as much as we can watch what other people do and kind of follow in their paths, really listen to your gut about, you know, what you're drawn to, because who knew 26 years later, like that I'd be piecing it together in this way. And it's all a beautiful mess, but I love every minute of it. So cool. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Shannon, by the way, I, I hated those weekly cheerleader weigh-ins too. Did you? Yeah. Yes, they were. They were humiliating. Uh, 
Uh, all kidding aside, I did dress up as a cheerleader in high school. Uh, there's pictures of it in the yearbook. And I think that's nice. why I won best legs of my senior class. Because nice. I had that really short, short skirt on. Uh-huh. Good times. They didn't weigh me, though. So I, I actually had the pleasure of, of hearing you speak for the first time. I think it was about 10, 11 years ago. It was either Idea or Ursa. And I believe the topic, it's hard, it's been a while. I believe the topic was around sales. And I know that's what we're going to be chatting around. So point being, you've been talking about this for a while, and certainly it's evolved. Um, what, and, and, and when I when I talk to clubs about education, especially overseas, but, but definitely domestically too, I want to geek out on the science and the programming and all the, you know, the stuff that we all geek out on. What's the first thing they ask about? Sales. So tell us. Why should all personal trainers be good at S-A-L-E-S sales? Yeah, I mean, until the industry decides to completely shift and figure out how to sell personal training and let personal trainers just deliver the product, you have to. Um, It's a broken system. I have been able to work with some organizations to fix that piece where they have started to hire people that sell. But but I still believe even if someone else is selling you, you have to sell yourself because as a service professional, you are your brand. I don't care if you're a solopreneur, if you are an entrepreneur work, and maybe that's a good shift for everyone listening is even if you work inside a big box gym, like a big engine with lots of support on sales and marketing, you are still an entrepreneur. They can get someone to a fitness consultation or they can get someone in the door. But what happens from there is up to you. And, you know, it's it's tough because I, I feel like the sales information we continue to throw at personal trainers is all of all based on the, the very flawed thought that just get someone into a fitness consultation, show them three different packages, point to the one in the middle and then overcome their objections case closed. Let's just finish that. And that is where I start with most entrepreneurs and organizations. I'm like, that's just the flawed way of thinking because you have to nurture clients and personal training is not a foregone conclusion. Showing up to a fitness consultation is scary. Um, They are rehearsing how to say no to you before they get in there. And, you know, what was interesting when I was working for Anytime Fitness Corporate, we took some research from Paul Bedford to, to really change our franchisees' minds and all of our personal trainers' minds because we were doing the same thing, teaching them about the sales piece, teach them about the sales piece, and we were microwaving clients. And so we showed them this research that only 10% of people will purchase personal training at point of sale. So I don't care how good you are at sales. Yeah. About 10% of people will say yes. But if you follow that potential client through for two to three months, it goes up to 30%. And if you follow them to six months, 60% of people will buy. So it's like, that's great. I can teach you everything in the world about overcoming objections and you might land some people. They're not going to be your best clients because you kind of tricked them into becoming clients. They might not quite be ready. But if I can like just create a great keep in touch strategy so I can crock pot you instead of microwave you, not only are you going to say yes and buy more, but you're going to stick with me longer. So it's this concept that, you know, it hasn't changed in 10 years, but finally people are paying attention. We've got to crock pot relationships, not microwave them and treat everyone as if they are a client. They just might not be paying yet. I love that analogy. It. (laughs) Reach it. 
I we've got to do some 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 little clips of what Shannon just said and some somehow drop a microphone at the same time. <laughs> just preach it. I, I I don't know why we're still struggling with that. So I love the analogy. Yeah. Microwave versus liquor. I love that. Can you can you give an example? Maybe a little example of what that crock pot recipe might look like, like in say a three month cycle. Yeah, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna go back and really turn the volume up on the philosophy to make sure we're all clear. You have to believe this fundamental statement: people purchase proportionate to the amount of trust they have in you or your product. So we've got two things going against us as personal trainers. No matter who, the, like back in the '90s, it was a little bit easier. People didn't have a POV about personal trainers. They were for, or, or if they had a POV, it's that you're cool if you can afford one. So yeah. it's easier to get people to say yes, right? And the second thing is nobody had movement literacy inside the gym. Nobody knew how to even set themselves up on a piece of equipment. They thought their legs were going to get chopped up. So like they, we were the gatekeepers of knowledge. Um, newsflash, we're not. Like as much as we hate it, they can go anywhere. I mean, fitness information is ubiquitous. That is not what we're selling. So when you talk about like, you know, the trust factor, we have to get them to trust us as people, but we also have to overcome their POV about personal training, about fitness, about who they are, about, and that is not handled just by giving them a kick-ass fitness consultation that leaves them sore and not able to move for the next two days. Yes. You are also not building trust and credibility if you do what I know I was taught in the early 90s, which is do the fitness consultation. If they don't buy, don't worry, but this is not crock potting. Um, do the fitness consultation, do all the tests with them. And then when they say no, just follow up with them in a few months and ask them how they're doing and offer another fitness consultation to show them they haven't lost any weight. They have the same body fat percentage and they still can't do any pushups. Are you kidding me? I still know trainers that are doing that. Like what are, anyway, so that is not what I'm talking about. We talk about crap pot. What I'm talking about, I mean, there, there's two different pieces. I'm going to come back to the sales cycle in a minute, but let's just play out the theme of a fitness consultation. Before the fitness consultation, my suggestion would be give them something before they get there to help set their mind at ease and prepare them for what will come. A simple welcome video. Like I've been playing around with uh, Future. If you guys had heard of Future, you should definitely go check it out. Do a month on them, see how they deal with it. I had to do, uh, I got a welcome video from my trainer within three minutes of signing up that talked to me about even what the first 15 minutes of our relationship was going to be like showing up just to talk to him on the phone. Don't worry about it. I'm sure you're a little bit nervous, but don't want to turn on your camera. It's going to be fine. The only thing I'm going to do is ask you these three things immediately disarming. So think about what your fitness consultation process is and give them a video, send it to them, text it to them. Tell them how to be prepared and ask them, hey, what are you most nervous about? Not what do you want out of it, but what are you most nervous about? How can I put your mind at ease? Then the second thing is in the moment, maybe rethink what you do at the fitness consultation. Instead of trying to show them all your jewels, right? Throw them everything they know. Your job is to build self-efficacy and teach them that they have all the answers inside of them. Your, your job is not wise man, wise woman on the mountaintop. Right, those days are gone. They don't need you to tell them what they need to do. They yeah. need to come stand beside them, put a hand on their back and be their Sherpa and say, I've got all the tools in my, in my back. As you're climbing this mountain, I'm going to be right beside you and help you. The first question that I would always ask is, 
when you come back to the gym tomorrow or the next time, what do you think you would want to do? If they say the treadmill, do not go into your spiel about, well, that's great. Cardio is great, but you also got to have a functional training program. Say, great. Let's go work out on the treadmill. Let me show you how to use it. Yeah. Right. So you just need to rethink the fitness consultation through their lens versus yours. It's not about testing. I mean, you can do all that, but if we're, it's not a foregone conclusion, they're going to buy you, right? It's not just a try before you buy, literally be their Sherpa. Then at the end, you certainly can tell them, I can do more of this for you. I can get to know you. This is what working with me would look like. I'm not sure if you're ready for that yet. If you are, here are the options. What looks good to you? Not right now. Fine. Here's your plan. Give them a plan. That at least gives you the entry to or permission to stay in touch with them. Yeah. We always suggest give a plan and then say, I'm going to follow up with you in a week. Or you tell me even better. Tell me when you're going to come back and do it. And I'm going to look for you that day. So that's the first next touch point. Then in two weeks, follow up and say, how is it going? Do you need me to adjust anything? Can I customize it? Is something not feeling right? None of this come back in to do a fitness consultation yet. Just offer to customize it on the fly, email, phone, text. Then check in with them again, six weeks. And then again, at 12 weeks, offer to come back in and do a whole other plan for them. Beyond that, put them on your email newsletter list. And even if you work for a gym, you should have a monthly thing that goes out to anyone you've done a fitness consultation with, where you just give them information. Just give them information. You guys, it's not your, I mean, everyone teaches a squat. The way you do it is not all that special. So don't worry about like giving away your secret sauce. You know, they're not going to, it's not what you're selling anyway. But if you can continue to give and then offer them, you know, follow me on social media. I do my favorite ab exercise every Monday or my favorite stretch every Friday. You just keep giving them stuff and stay in front of them. And every once in a while, you just offer up solutions to their problems. That's epic. epic. I love it. Um, I love yeah. it. What's up, guys? It's time for another ISSA Rapid Review. Tim had this to say about our Transformation Specialist course. I really enjoyed this course. I learned a lot, and the course met my expectations. Well, we're glad to hear it, Tim. Thanks so much. I really like what you were talking about in the initial consultation, like how you address it, because so many people, when you're talking about the treadmill, this person says, I really like the treadmill. And this is one thing I teach coaches of all stages in their careers, is don't make it about you. Right? Oh, the treadmill is terrible for you. Why do you like the Stairmaster? The Stairmaster? Really? If you like the if that's your jam, do you, boo-boo. I support you. Absolutely. <laughs> right? We have to go where, meet them where they're at. If that's what they like to do, do it. But I think you made a great point. Teach them how to use it. Because I bet there's features on that treadmill that they didn't know how to use. Of course. I mean, and that's so important, Jenny. And I mean, just a, a, a bigger piece of Con Ed that I'm always preaching to trainers. Like, I love that we know so much about exercise science. I love it. But if you can unlock the behavior change components of it, you would quickly see that the way most of us approach a fitness consultation, it's kind of like trying to feed people vegetables at first. Like it just, it doesn't, it's so scary and so hard. And, or another way to look at it, if you understand zone of competency, if you play guitar hero, video games use zone of competency pedagogy so well. So it's the idea that like you pull out guitar hero, it doesn't give you stairway to heaven to play. It gives you some stupid song that anyone could play if they tried it. They would be 70% proficient after trying it four or five times. Because if you had to try it like 17 times before you got good at it, what would you do? Throw the game away. Yeah. And then it opens up, well, here are your two new songs you can do. And then it goes, and here are the seven new songs you can do. And you keep 
but it only gives you enough of a challenge where you have to work to stay engaged, but not so much difficulty that you give up an exit stage left. And if you think about trainers listening, think about the last fitness consultation you did and think about that poor woman or man that was sitting in front of you. How far away from their zone of competency were you? And we were taught to do that because we were taught, again, that we have to teach them everything we know to convince them that they should buy what we're selling. And that's not it. They're going to buy based on trust. And trust is not about your credentials or your brain. Trust is a feeling, right? It's not knowledge. It's a feeling. So take it down a notch. They will be your biggest cheerleader. If you, I mean, even if they say they want to do selectorized equipment, which I know makes you all want to cringe, <laughs> go show them the machines. It's fine. At least they'll come back in and do it. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think all the things that you're talking about doing uh, as you were listing off, like how to keep, you know, people's emails, send them something once a month, but that means now you need to then keep track of the names, right? The email addresses, the contact information, like when this person last came in, when you sent your email, you have to be generally pretty organized, but that's also a trait that I see in most of the most successful personal trainers out there that I know they are organized right? Because if you're writing workout programs and you're contacting people, you're following up with people that are just leads for you, right? You're doing all these things. You have to be organized, uh, which we know is your strong suit, <laughs> right? So what tips, uh, this is kind of an off the fly question. What tips would you have for people as far as being organized, right? We don't need a program or a platform. You can use what's on your basic computer. What, what advice would you give them? Yeah, great question. I mean, and I I'll always talk out of both sides of my mouth. I wish clubs would understand this and put their trainers into a CRM and actually give them time and pay them time to manage a CRM and help them understand how to do it versus trusting that they wouldn't or they can't, um, because that would be the best. Moving that aside, if I come over to you being the entrepreneur or the entrepreneur, I do think at some point it is worth investing potentially in a very low grade CRM. And um, I mean, there are a couple of reasons for that. It, one, if you're going to be mass emailing people, depending on the size of your list, it's it's actually not legal to just be blind carbon copying 50 to 100 people and sending them a message every month. So, you know, hopefully your club can help you out on that. If they, you know, if they've already opted into marketing inside the club, it, it's a, you know, it's a foregone conclusion, but that's part of it, email marketing. But like I use a CRM called Close. It's very inexpensive and it's more of a pipeline management system. And I can tag people based on, you know, these are my fitness fitness consultation people that didn't buy. These are my fitness consultation people that bought, but now they're no longer my clients. These are people that I met on the floor. These are people that I want to get into a fitness consultation and I can make it trigger me to talk to them. So it becomes my brain which may sound mind-blowing, but if you spend the time to organize it, then you're already organized. It Like every morning when I wake up, Close tells me the 10 people I need to talk to that day based on my relationship. But if you want, my biggest thing is like, you cannot manage this in your email and you can't manage it in text messages. Yeah. The end, period. So you at least need a spreadsheet or something like Trello's free, right? So either one of those will work. And I actually have a... Um, I have a template that I'm happy to share with them about how to track the people. And basically what you need is name. Where did they come from? Right? So did I meet them on the floor? Did a salesperson introduce me to them? Did I meet them in a class? Did I do a fitness consultation with them? Last date of contact. Notes about the last time you contacted them. And then a column reminding you when you need to check to check in with them or see if you've been in touch. Because the goal is if someone is on your, like net, I would call it my network of 90 list. If they're on my network of 90 list, that means I have a relationship with them. 
they know me, they would answer my phone call, answer my text message, answer an email. I try to be in touch with them every 30 days. Now, hopefully we're deepening our relationship by more frequent conversations, but it's on me to proactively reach out if it's been 30 days and I haven't heard from them again. So you can do, you can manage that easily on a spreadsheet, but you've got to take the time. I, it, um, what I teach people is first 15 minutes of the day. That is what you're working on. Putting all your notes into the system, reaching out to the people you need to reach out to, make notes in the system and then go about your day. But you have to get that done. Absolutely. We love that template to share with everybody if you're willing to, Shannon. Of course. So awesome. Super helpful. And I love the fact that you mentioned that even if you work for a club, you can still do all these things and help yourself be more successful. 100%. Because I mean, there are only so many people to go around, right? So many leads to go around. Like we just, and we've been taught to treat our business like a sales funnel, go work the floor, go talk to people and salespeople are going to give you new members dump them in the top, get them into a fitness consultation. You're only going to get a certain percentage to get in the fitness consultation, work your magic in the fitness consultation, offer them something. You're only going to get a certain number of people that convert. If they don't convert, try three more times to get them to convert with some kind of call to action and then let them fall out the bottom. And what I'm suggesting is like a sales cycle where you put them in the top and you figure out ways to stay in touch with them and offer them solutions that are proportionate to how much trust they have in you at the moment. Because at the moment, they may not have enough trust to purchase personal training. So we can talk about that too. But you've got to have some other things that you could say, hey, well, you could get this for me, this for me, this for me, or this for me. Then they stay in our ecosystem and we can build trust and credibility over time and try again when it makes sense. Makes sense to me. (laughs) Brilliant. Brilliant. And for the record, uh, I learned from some other folks that, that, that came through the in the industry about the same time, I think, Shannon, uh, Rodney Korn and company and, and you know, the, the whole behavioral component uh, that, that they were bringing to the table well before anybody was talking about it. Um, and, and that was how I approached it when I was a fitness director. It's the exact same thing. I created the spreadsheet. I had one more column that said interests so that I knew what the topic was. And every trainer was responsible for pulling information off of uh, either PubMed, had to be good stuff you know, uh, PT on the net, et cetera. And if possible, hand them the article. When did you last hand them information? If you couldn't hand it to them, email it to them. But most of the time you could find them in the club. Yeah. Absolutely touching point and remembering, you know, you don't give somebody that wants to build muscle an article on blood pressure. You know, it's whatever they're interested in or concerned about is what you're providing for them. A month or two down the line, you're like, hey, by the way, I came across this and I thought of you. Yes. That's where it's at, folks. Uh, yeah. Anyway, don't get yeah. no, I love it, Shannon. Complete, complete alignment. And yeah, once you know, and that's why I would say um, I teach in my business course, you have 90 people on your list at all times in your networking strategy. Well, there are lots of other strategies for building your business, but the networking strategy is, is primo. 90 people and of those 90 people, 50% are potential clients. The other 50% are people that can get you in front of clients. Yes. You have to be networking with people that can get you in front of clients or otherwise enhance your business, right? And to your point, Dan, like 90 is a number that I can remember something about all 90 of those people and both be on the lookout for things I can share with them. Or if, you know, if I get to 30 days and you pop up on my list, I'm like, oh yeah, Dan is at ISSA and this is what he's doing. And oh yeah, I've got an article I can go send him about XYZ that he's working on. So 
Either way works, but that's why we always say have 90 and again, 50% uh, potential clients, 50% that are potentially going to help you get clients. Brilliant. Brilliant. Uh, Now, these are all the things uh, that we should be doing. And I think we're all in agreement on that one. Yeah. What are some of the biggest mistakes you see trainers, whether whether they're veterans or brand new, trying to build their career? What are the biggest mistakes you see out there? I'm going to give you the first one because everything we're talking about takes time. So the first mistake that most trainers make, no matter what age or stage they are in business, they do not take time to work on their business. They are consistently working in their business. They're just trading time for money. And if all you do is trade time for money, there's no way to iterate, eliminate, and innovate to continue moving on. Like it's it's really hard to sustain your business because you might be book solid right now. And if you're on the floor eight hours a day, there will come a time, a season or a year where 50% of your clients either can't afford it, get pregnant, move, lose their jobs, don't yeah. want out anymore, et cetera. And if you're not finding time to both do this marketing mining back here, which is working on your business, or you're not off doing con ed or thinking up new ideas or new strategies or making out your plans for the next year, your host. So my, it's, it's one of the courses that I teach and I make everyone that I coach go through it first. It's called TDD, the time by design technique. And it's about really figuring out, you know, how big is your container? That's step one, especially for trainers. And when I say container, like how many hours per week do you want to work? Cause if you don't put bookends on it, yeah, you're going to end up like me in the 1990s. And Dan, yep. you did the same thing. I was working from five o'clock in the morning till nine o'clock at night. Every day of the week, Saturday from at least 6 a.m. till 12, I never took a vacation. I slept in the massage room and all I ate were protein bars. And it, I was trying to get work done in the nooks and crannies. Like you can't do that. So you got to decide, is it 40? Is it 30? Is it 60? Whatever. And then you have to set aside 15% is minimum. 15% of those total hours each week should be earmarked for deep work on your business. This isn't scheduling, it's not accounting, it's not billing, it's not answering emails. It is deep work. It's vision, strategy, creation. It's marketing. It's those big things that are going to move your business forward and have a huge impact on But 15%. And that's not a lot. Like if you're working 40 hours a week, it's six hours. Yeah. It's just six. Now the six can't be divided up into the 15 minutes between your clients or praying that someone that you don't like cancels. It has to be... It truly has to be like a good 60 to 90 minute chunk. And it has to be when you have the energy to think uh, yeah. about things. But the course takes you through all that. Like, how do you figure that out and find the white space on, on your calendar? And I'm also not a big um, fan of, well, I'm just going to wake up an hour earlier and do it before I go to the gym. Like, no, within your container. But that's the number one is not taking time to work on your business, just continuing to work in your business. I love that concept of on your business versus in your business. And I, you're not the first person I've ever heard say that. I know True Coach talks about that a lot too, um, this, the trading platform. Um, and it's true. Most people don't work on their business. They're just in it. And then you're absolutely right. There's going to be times where people drop off or where something happens. And next thing you know, your next three days are empty. And you're like, oh no, what do I do? Right. And then that's when you rush and try and get people. By then, everything else is filled back in. And now you don't have space for these people. Um, and I love your idea about the container, figuring out, what your container is because you're absolutely right it's i'm a trainer too i've been a trainer for 13 years and i've worked in the gyms too it gets real quick how you start working outside of your hours and yeah i was that person there at 4 30 every morning 
and was there till 7, 8, 9 p.m. at night every day during the week. And yeah, it was, it's the point where you will burn out and you will not make it in this industry and you're going to leave um, because you don't set your own boundaries. Yeah. And that's the worst thing, right? We don't want people exiting stage left. And the last thing I'll say, you kind of pulled on it. It's like, if you sit down, especially if you're new, the thought of working on your business probably scares you because A, you've got to have some time management <laughs> protocol. Yeah. But the other reason is because you're like, well, what do I do? I don't know enough about business to work on my business. Then priority number one is to find resources at ISSA or wherever you want, like about working on your business. What does yeah. it mean? And go start studying. Because even studying is working on your business. You have to have, I mean, even if you're working inside of a gym, like you're the visionary, you're the COO, you're the sales and marketing lead, you're the head of product, and you're also the head of ops. Like you have to do it all. So go study that. That would be the first thing I would suggest. Um, the second mistake I'd say is that thinking that working the floor is the best way to get a client. And I know every club makes you do it. So do it. I'm not going to tell you. Jen <laughs> um, told me, don't. Jen said I shouldn't do this anymore. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I think you need to shift your, shift your thinking around it. Like, you know, it's a rite of passage. We all have to do it. But I mean, I believe in working the floor, but you shift your perspective. All working the floor does is get you awareness. Yep. Get you a client. And you need to let go of any trick that anyone has ever told you where you walk up to them and you fix their form or offer them a suggestion for how to do it better or offer a different. Please tell me you're not doing that anymore because all I want to do is punch you in the face. Like, that's not where our relationship starts. All I want you to do is go get me a towel, fill up my water bottle, <laughs> ask me how I'm doing today. Um, but you're starting the relationship. The goal that you need to have when you're on the floor is not to be a shark. It's to literally and authentically get to know people. Um, so I've been talking about networking strategy. This is a concept of direct outreach. And I call it direct outreach, not cold calling, because you don't ever just walk, like I didn't know Jenny and I saw you on the floor. I don't just walk up to you and go, hi, I'm a trainer. I've got some things to tell you. I'm going to stalk you for a little bit and see what yeah. you're going on and kind of add what Dan said. You know, if I notice that you're always lifting heavy and you're doing killer moves, then maybe I find a resource that supports what you're doing. Or I even just walk over to you and go, you know what, Jenny, I've been watching you for a couple of weeks. Damn, you're strong. Yeah. It's so <laughs> impressive. Well done. Anything to get the lines of communication open in a very authentic way. And then you just continue talking to them over time on the floor. And then eventually you'll figure out, are they a candidate for an FC? Or maybe they're a candidate for a class that you teach. Or maybe they just want a freebie that you offer that's a tip sheet on getting the most out of the weight room floor. Or there's a million things that you could offer that person, but it doesn't have to be with the intent on booking an FC or getting a client, just getting people to become aware of you. And get yeah. And I completely agree. I remember working in the gyms. You can't just like, you're not there to sell people stuff. I would just walk by and be like, like picking towels up, wiping down stuff. And eventually, you know what? They're going to ask you a question and you're gonna be like, Oh, I can talk to you about it. what's your name. Right. And then you get to know them and then, okay, see you later. Right. And then next time you see them, Oh, Hey, how'd that work out? Right. It's, it's literally building a relationship and that is the easiest way to go about it. So you don't feel anxiety about it. Um, Cause that's what I was going to ask you next year. And it's like, there's a lot of people out there who frankly, like have a hard time just building relationships, breaking the ice with people. They're awkward, right? They do. They walk around doing the little whale eye where they're looking at you out the side. What do you want at this point? Like either like poo or get off the pot. Like, what do you need? Um, so like people are like weird about walking up to people or even asking for money, right? When it comes down to, hey, I want to do this or I want to buy that bottle of protein over there. Like, okay, I can bring you over here and bring you up. Like, 
you have to ask for money at some point as trainers, no matter where you work, what advice would you give them for that? Like specifically, like closing something, asking for money or asking for something of the person you're speaking to. Yeah, let's start with the money conversation. Um, the, the first thing I would say is personal trainers tend to have a poor person's mentality because they're selling from their pocket. And when you sell from your pocket, you're thinking, remember when I said like people purchase proportionate to the amount of trust they have on you, they also put value on what they see. So the thing is, you don't value what you do because you do it and it's inherent. So of course, I'm not going to pay $150 to someone to train me. Uh, I know how to do it. But your desert is someone else's oasis. Like if I don't have that skill set and I need to get to this is the benefit or the result that I desire, then I may be willing to pay you $300 an hour instead of $150 an hour. It just depends, right? So that's the first thing. Stop selling from your pocket and thinking about how much you would or wouldn't pay based on how much money you have in your bank account or how much value you put on the product. Um, the second thing I would say, I always remind people this quote, even a mission needs a margin. So why do I say that? Because a lot of people say, but I just love fitness and I want everyone to be fit and healthy because this is how I changed my life. And it's just so important that people get in. And I'm just, I, I do it for free. I love it. Oh, even a mission needs a margin. Like even any great nonprofit organization is out earning money some way yeah. to further their mission. You have to ask for money to keep doing what you're doing. So you're very quickly, like you you indicated earlier, like you're going to exit stage left if you're not making money. And then what? So the third piece of that is always say, you are a service professional and you love it that much. Then who are you not to ask them for the sale? Like mm -hmm. you're denying them a gift. That sounds horrible, doesn't it? Like you are withholding something that you have that they could benefit from. Um, and, you know, I take people through this, this whole four-step process and book yourself solid. It's the foundation. We go through the red velvet rope policy, why people buy what they're selling, your personal brand, and then how to talk about what you do without sounding boring, confusing, or just like anyone else. And by the end, if you've created all four or walked through all four of those steps authentically, you will fall in love with sales and marketing because you've chosen the right who you know you're delivering a strong what that they need and you have conviction in your why, then you will understand what I'm saying, which like you, you're screwing them over by not asking them for the sale. So it just changes your mindset. Like I wake up every day excited to tell people about what I do. You can say no or yes to it, but if I don't tell you about it, you don't know that I can help you. So I get super psyched about saying it. That's awesome. <laughs> and we should. You shouldn't be excited about it because you're absolutely right. We have something that they need or that could benefit them. So you just have to let them know what it is and be don't be afraid to talk about it. But yeah, asking for money is so hard for some people. And I'm not money motivated, quote, quote. Do I like money? Sure. Does it pay my bills and pay my car note? Sure. Absolutely. You're up to your point, Shannon. I need it, right? So absolutely. I do have a rate. And my rate over 13 years has gone up dramatically. Right. And so now it's to the point where when people ask for my services, I can tell you all the things and be all excited about it. And then I'm not afraid to say it's $100 an hour or it's $1,500 per month or whatever it is, because guess what? That's what it's worth. And that, I'm not going to take a penny less. <laughs> right? 100%. And here's the last thing I would say. If people say no, they're not saying no to the price. They don't see the value for what you quote. 100%. So your job isn't to slash your price, right? It's to increase your value. And that goes back to the crock potting. They might not see value in it now, but if for six months they're following you on social media and you're sending them an email every month, they'll be like, oh, okay. 
or they might go try it on their own and fail three more times and then even more see the value in what you have to provide. So it's, it is important to remember that it's value driven. It's not actually, uh, it's not dollar driven, right? We all have those things mm-hmm. that we pay a ridiculous amount of money for just because we value it more than the person sitting beside us, right? Whether it's cars or houses or clothes or, right? It's not just about the thing and what it's doing for you, but the value you place on it. Absolutely. Oh, I love that. And immediately I just thought of like somebody in a gym, like thinking back to when I worked at Lifetime, phenomenal place to work. But like, yeah, when you're crockpotting somebody and you've talked to them a couple of times, oh, Sue is over there on the treadmill, right? And then your next client comes in and they tell you they've lost 20 pounds. Don't just be like, high five, client, great job. You know what I do? Get on the loudspeaker. Oh my gosh, Tony just lost 50 pounds. Like whatever, like make it a big deal. You know, run around the gym. Like then people are going to go, oh, you're over here getting results from people, right? That's that's another way you can build value without directly sharing it with someone. If they see you constantly with somebody or they see you with that client that you've been working with for six months, and that person looks real good. And I remember them not looking so good six months ago. Like, huh, maybe there is value. And next time they come, you come talk to them, they might be like, so what was that about? Tell me about that person. What have you been doing with that person? Right? There's other ways to build value versus just literally trying to sell yourself to somebody. You, your work is selling it, right? Your work ethic, going out onto the floor, like you said, cleaning. You're always cleaning stuff. <laughs> yeah, because it's nasty when people don't clean things. I'm weird about that, <laughs> Right? Oh, I value that, right? I value a clean facility. I value not getting, you know, germs and versa from the club that I'm at, right? You'd be surprised what people will connect with with you um, if you just do things around people. It's like integrity, right? What we do when people aren't watching. Well, and you bring up such a good point. You talked about you doing good work and people seeing you do good work. So I mentioned uh, the first piece of this entire system I teach is called the Red Velvet Rope Policy. And it's about figuring out what are the characteristics, the innate characteristics of the people that you do your best work with and finding a way to create filtration systems um, so that you get more of those people. Because when you're working with people, you do your best work with, you do your best work. When you do your best work, they talk about you doing your best work. And when they talk about you doing your best work, you get more work. But, you know, we really have to think about the duds that we have on, you know, not that you're going to go fire all your clients, but you've got to really index towards working with the people that you were passionate about that get results from what you're doing. So they can also help spread the message that does increase your value exponentially. Of that. You, you know, the, the, it's a visual slash analogy that, that I used to use that I believe is perfect for what you're describing is the old scale like the scales of justice scale, right? Mm-hmm. You know, where it's got the little thing in the middle, the fulcrum in the center, and, and you've got dollars on one side. And if, to your point, it's about value, not not cost. Mm-hmm. If if the, uh, the dollar sign is heavier, it can take time, to your point again, three months, six months, but you just keep dropping value on that other side. You keep dropping it in, you keep dropping it in. Whether it's what Jenny was describing, just demonstrating that you're passionate about where you where you work and you treat it like your own, that you always stay busy, that you care about the experience they have, that all adds value. Just keep dropping it in. You send them an article, send them an email, dropping it in. And eventually that balance beam, that sucker is going to shift the other way. Absolutely. So we never, yeah, you never, nothing is insignificant. Some will, some won't, some wait. So how do our listeners find you, Shannon? Your you, your products, your services, programs. What's the best way for them to connect with you? Yeah. So websites, shannonfable.com. 
pretty simple to remember. And you can link up to all my social from there. But if you're just going straight to social, S Babel, I'm the only one out there. I think there's only one fake account with my name on it, but it's pretty. <laughs> Instagram mainly and LinkedIn as well. But yeah, my, my website's the best place. And you'll find the freebie on there is the TBD technique. So if you are struggling with finding time to work on your business, it'll give you uh, the worksheet and like four videos to help you figure out how to, how to make a plan to get that 15% in your week, which hopefully you guys will commit to because it's a game changer. When we talk about crock potting relationships, you need that time built into your week. Awesome. And we'll be sure to link uh, your uh, book yourself solid um, website in our description. So guys, check out the links in the description. And I love that Shannon has a bunch of freebies for you guys. So she's giving you the information that you need. And of course she has more in-depth information, but the resources are there, right? It's the same thing that she was just talking about. She's practicing what she preaches. She's giving you some freebies, building some value. Um, and this woman is full, chock full of value. Um, so great resource. Thank you so much, Shannon. Yeah, thank you both for your time. This was a fantastic conversation. Really appreciate it. Yeah, I feel like I could talk like for, for hours about this. So. <laughs> ditto, ditto, ditto. Trying to be mindful of our podcast time. <laughs> but Dan, do you have any last words for our listeners today? Well, Shannon did an amazing job. Uh, I'm no longer thinking about mosquitoes. I'm thinking about two words. Two words that I, to me, summarize everything she shared with us. Trust, value. Trust, value. Um, folks, that's that's sales. That's what it's all about. It's not about you. It's not about how cool you think you are. It's not about any how many courses or certifications you have. It's not about you knowing the coolest workout or exercises. They buy you. They don't buy the exercise. So true. Yeah, I would agree with that too. And so a lot of people are like, well, how come we don't cover this in the personal training course? Well, this isn't a personal training course, right? This, not, I want to be talking about sets, reps, volume, intensity, etc. Like we were talking about the business aspect and Shannon made a really great point or several great points throughout you guys. This is all so unique to the individual because we are each our own person. We are each unique and we each have different things to offer. So you have to figure out what it is that you have to offer, what makes you unique, and then build everything around your business around what makes you unique, especially if you're working in a place where there's other trainers, right? To Shannon's point earlier, we can all deliver exercises. We can all kick your butt or I can give you something simple, right? I can give you some yoga. I can give you some stretches. We can all do that. But what makes you different? Why is your value different from one another? So we can't put this in a book. We can't put this in writing because there's no one solution. Um, there's, there's many, many, many solutions. And you guys have to figure out what is your solution. But these tools that Shannon's offering you guys for free will help you figure out where you stand and what will work best for you. So I love that. Thank you so much again, Shannon. Yeah, thank you. Love it. And thank you guys for listening. This has been a good one, a phenomenal one. And as always, we encourage you to go out there into the world, go learn business, be fruitful and multiply and make good choices. We'll be talking to you soon.